It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Vice President Biden, as a presidential candidate in 2008, you supported the border wall saying, unlike most Democrats, I voted for 700 miles of fence. This is what you said. Then you serve as vice president in an administration that deported three million people, the most ever in US history. Did you do anything to prevent those deportations? I mean, you've been asked this question before and refused to answer, so let me try once again. Are you prepared to say tonight that you and President Obama made a mistake about deportations, why should Latinos trust you? What Latinos should look at is comparing this president to the president we have is outrageous, number one. We didn't lock people up in cages. We didn't separate families. We didn't do all of those things, number one. Number two, number two, by the time, this is the president who came along with the DACA program. No one had ever done that before. This is the president who sent a le legislation to the desk saying he wants to find a pathway for the 11 million undocumented in the United States of America. This is the president who's done a great deal. So I'm proud to have served with him. What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. I would change the order that the president just changed, saying women who were being beaten and abused could no longer claim that as a reason for asylum. All right. So that was Joe Biden in uh, the Democratic debate of 2019. This is, I think, of the fall and, of course, he's basically telling people to come. He's defending his record with President Obama, and he's lying about it, at least this portion. The cages were developed under the Obama administration, and they were blamed on President Trump, but they were not the Trump era. It was the Obama era. Uh, so it's not true when he says we didn't put kids in cages. They were the, if you want to call them cages, uh, they were the administration that did that. But the point there is that he was clearly stating that people are welcome to come. Under our administration, under my administration, we want people to come uh, that are seeking asylum. And, of course, asylum is a very broad definition. We see people now pouring over the border. People on the border are just reporting daily how this is just a flood. It's like an open border, and no one's doing anything to stop it other than blaming people uh, if they don't want to take on the burden. of, uh, And they call it so-called children. I have an article I want to share with you in just a second by Betsy McCoy that sort of breaks down who those so-called children are. But I want to tell you that a couple of things. Today the House is uh, considering a vote that provides citizenship, a citizenship path to illegal immigrants. There are two parts to it. Uh, it is... Um, they're going to take these bills up today is what they're planning to do. One of them is uh, the American, they call it the American Dream and Promise Act. It would author a, 
uh, pathway to citizenship to those who entered the country illegally as children and are currently living in the United States known as DREAMers. The same bill would also help immigrants in the country who receive temporary migration protections. It's uh, an estimated 4.4 million illegal immigrants could become eligible for permanent residency if the bill is passed. And there's another part to this, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which would provide illegal immigrant agricultural workers a path to legal status. And there's more to it. This is just part of a larger bill, like the Dream Bill. They have, they should call it their Dream Bill, their Dream Immigration Bill, which would, it's radical, it would legalize millions of illegal immigrants. And of course, we are estimating that there will be at least a million come across the border based on what's happening right now. A million coming across our border just this year. So uh, we see what the Democrats have in mind. They do want to radically transform this country. They came out of their own mouth. Barack Obama said that, and that is what they're campaigning for. They want, they, they say it's race. They want to brown America, whatever, change the color of America. But really, it has very little to do with skin color. That's a red herring. What it has to do with, it is control of a people. It's control. I mean, they, they're not about to allow, if, a bunch, uh, if America turns all brown or all black, the intention is not to let then suddenly this group of new brown and black Americans, you know, have a say in what happens in their lives. No, these are totalitarians who want to control people of all colors, and they're using race to achieve their ends. And so uh, that's what's happening in the House and then also in, in both chambers also. Um, we have imminently the passage of H.R. 1 or S.R. 1. That's the huge voting bill, and that has passed in the House. And at any moment, it's going to come up in the Senate. And when it comes up, it's going to happen quickly. So it's kind of an all-out bulletin to fight against the passage of H.R. 1 or S.R. 1 because it will change, honestly. Um, it will forever institutionalize the totalitarians that are in charge right now. Uh, it will completely break down any barriers in legal voting, whether it's voter ID. It will allow 16-year-olds to vote. Uh, it will allow same-day registration. You can go from poll place to poll place and just vote as many times as you want because you don't have to verify who you are. You just say, I am this person. And if you think you're that person, you can be that person that day and vote. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And so uh, the battle is raging over that. We're hearing a lot. And by the way, uh, I have a practical thing. This is very practical. Please go to afa.net, afa.net, and uh, it will show you how to contact your senator, because it is in the Senate now. That's the place that we have to stop it, and uh, tell them not to vote for this. Uh, It'll have verbiage for you. You don't have to create it. Uh, But if you go to afa.net, afa.net, uh, that's how you can communicate and make uh, at least do this on HR1. We at least need to let them know. If, if there's no pushback at all, then there's no resistance at all. And there are two, um, there are two senators who may be holdouts on this because it's all tied to the filibuster. And as I've explained and will explain again, the filibuster is just a fancy name for the fact that a Senate rule, which is very sacred to senators, it's just been practiced there for decades, uh, is that you have to have 60 senators agree to vote on a bill. So it's time to stop talking about it. It's time to stop debating. Let's vote. And so how many of you think we should stop debating and vote? 60 of you out of 100 have to say so. That's the filibuster. And that's how the minority is able to stop some things that they disagree with 
and it's been uh, used for uh, decades. Okay, so now uh, it's like sacred. It's like the Holy Grail to senators. Yeah, don't ask me to explain it, but it is. And so um, they are now these institutional senators, including Joe Biden, Dick Durbin. I played clips for you yesterday of all of them talking about how they would never do away with the filibuster. It would would destroy the Senate. Uh, But now they're changing their mind because they want to only need 51 votes to pass SR1. They want to have to have only 51 votes, and they have that. The Senate is evenly split, and Kamala Harris has to cast that tie-breaking vote, and we know that she will. Of course she will. And then they will never lose another election. And there will be no freedom and no democracy in this country. We will do what the overlords say, and we will have no choice. Kristen Cinema is under a lot of pressure. You know, she was the one who did the big thumbs down, kind of mimicking John McCain on the floor <clears throat> on the minimum wage provision of that big um, so-called COVID relief bill. They wanted to put a minimum wage of $15 in there, and, and Kristen voted that down. So now they're really putting pressure on her. She's also saying that she will not vote to do away with the filibuster. So I don't know, you know, how she's going to—I don't know. I have no prediction on that, except I intuitively think that she will be better on this than Joe Manchin. But here's what's happening with Joe Manchin. There was a poll taken in West Virginia, uh, and we found out that 79% of West Virginia voters are opposed to overriding state voter ID laws by removing any requirements to show identification and prove you are who you say you are by abolishing all voter ID laws which exist to combat practices such as impersonation fraud, voter registration fraud, duplicate voting, and votes cast by ineligible voters. 79% of West Virginia voters are not down with this big bill, which would be passed easily if they can do away with the filibuster. Joe Manchin uh, first, you know, beat his breast and protested, oh, I will not, you know, vote to do away with the filibuster, and then he began to weaken. And so, practically speaking, for those of you who are anywhere near West Virginia or have friends there, you need to know this, that this Saturday on March the 20th, West Virginians are going to be gathering at the West Virginia Capitol building uh, at 1 o'clock. They're going to be uh, taking a stand. They're calling it Take a Stand. And uh, they are asking Joe Manchin to take a stand uh, for for America on SR1, along with other egregious bills that hinder our freedoms. Senator Manchin has a chance to stand up for America, and your presence at the Capitol in Charleston will send him a loud and clear message. Again, it's 1 o'clock this Saturday at the West Virginia Capitol building. There will be lots of speakers, and so if you're anywhere near West Virginia, uh, it's time to put pressure on Joe Manchin. It sounds like most West Virginians are not down with HR1 or SR1 in the Senate, and they're not down with stopping the filibuster, which will make it, it'll just clear the path for that and all of these other incredibly egregious bills. And so um, so anyway, I hope that that's helpful to you. It's Again, it's called uh, Take a Stand. I don't know if you can find it online. Someone sent this to me in an email. If I could send you a link, I would, but uh, it's Take a Stand Manchin. That's the name of it. Take a stand mansion. And again, it's Saturday at one o'clock uh, in the West Virginia Capitol building on the it's outside on the Riverside lawn. All right. So um, again, if you uh, if you can, please go to AFA.net, AFA.net, uh, so that you can figure out it's easy. They'll lay it out for you how to contact your senators on SR1 to object to them. OK, so I hope that's helpful for today. Uh, and there's a lot of election news that I'd like to get to if I can. Gonna try. This week, um, 
So this week, uh, Joe Biden, President Biden's DOJ and DHS declared to all of us that China, Russia, and Iran did not manipulate the 2020 presidential election results. In spite of what you heard, there is no evidence of any foreign government interference or manipulation in the 2020 presidential election. Can I just say this? Does anybody remember that when uh, 2016 happened, and they accused the Russians of manipulating and causing President Trump to win, that all the conversation was, well, the Russians always interfere with our elections. They've been doing this for, you know, for decades. They always try to interfere, and so do other foreign powers, including China. It's just a given. We know that this is what they're trying to do. But President uh, O'Biden, (laughs) I like that, President Biden, uh, his DOJ and DHS have declared that there was no manipulation, nothing, no evidence whatsoever that any of these countries interfered with our elections. So you can rest, put your head on the pillow, and take a nice snooze because uh, suddenly it stopped in 2020. Suddenly it stopped. All right, so in Michigan, which uh, we talked about yesterday, kind of an update on Michigan, the, the, a judge has ruled that the state secretary's ballot signature matching guidance is invalid. Uh, Jocelyn Benson is like uh, the, the, the uh, clone of, uh, of the governor. Uh, they both, they look alike. I don't mean, I mean out of their eyes. They take pleasure, I think, in ruling over people. And so what happened was J- Jocelyn Benson had told people that were checking signatures to always uh, err on the side of accepting the signature. No matter what the problem was, assume that the signature is valid. So a judge basically said to her, that's not what the legislature said. That's not what they decided. This is invalid, uh, and that's a completely invalid ruling. Now, of course, you know, too late, folks. As far as I could tell, too late. There is an incredible article by Molly Hemingway on what happened in Georgia uh, in the election there. I, I want to commend this to you. It's so long, I can't. I won't have time to get into it right now, but it's the media's entire Georgia narrative is fraudulent, not just the fabricated Trump quotes, uh, which we talked about earlier in the week. His uh, call to Brad Raffensperger completely distorted by the Washington Post was now apologized, now that it's too late. But she talks about step by step, how many things were lied about, about what happened in Georgia. And I, we will put that uh, article on our Facebook page. Oh, there's so much to say, but we're going to say it. Just got to do it a little faster, I guess. Uh, Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs. And because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by March 31st. You can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay 
pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. A four-year-old Arkansas boy was kicked off a Spirit Airlines flight for refusing to wear a face mask. Callie Kimball says her son Carter has severe nonverbal autism. The family presented the airline with a doctor's note explaining that the child cannot and should not wear a face covering. But a flight attendant demanded the boy mask up, telling the family autism is not a disability. Spirit Airlines then ordered the entire family to get off the plane. When American Airlines heard about what happened, they were more than happy to provide transportation for the Kimball family. Spirit Airlines is defending its policy. They say everyone must wear a mask on their jetliners, no medical exemptions allowed. And that is certainly their right as a private company. But to kick a four-year-old boy off an airplane is really outrageous. By the way, TripAdvisor, they say Spirit Airlines ranked the worst airline in the world. Imagine that. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. So let me put up what these voter suppression laws disguised as election security would do. Many of them put restrictions on mail-in voting. Now, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans relied on mail-in voting. So this is a new a new sort of Republican behavior that they want to cleave out mail-in voting because it's too easy. They're, they feel like they lose their two. They want to create barriers for all that kind of non-in-person voting. They want to expand voter roll purges. We should explain what this is. It's just people that moved in very, very, very few instances, people that have died. They don't vote anyway. This is just an aggressive move to, um, I think, put fear in the mind. And and it goes in the category of sowing distrust in election results. Some of the other ones are about limiting voter registration opportunities. What Republicans don't like, if we're being really blunt, they don't like people being allowed to register on same day. This really disproportionately hurts people who are transient college students who tend, you guessed it, not to vote Republican. They also want to implement stricter voting ID laws. Now, there is a... um, pretty marketable argument. They say things like, well, to go to Block, they used to say, I have to go to Blockbuster, I need an ID, why not to vote? But again, this has a disproportionate impact on people who don't have driver's licenses or IDs. So there is no fair read of these moves as anything other than voter suppression of the kinds of voters that Republicans have given up on. 
Well, that was Nicole Wallace of MSNBC, and I thought that our next guest would love hearing that because it's Jay Christian Adams, our good friend who often hosts for me. He's the founder of Public Interest Legal Foundation. Uh, and Christian, good morning. Did you like that uh, little comment by <laughs> Nicole Wallace? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. I was sitting there taking notes, Sandy. When you hear stuff like that, it's you're dealing with a, a arch propagandist. Yeah, really. So, but let's let's talk about that because you know that this is pending. You know, at any moment, really, uh, the Senate could, you know, uh, do whatever they're going to do uh, to try to pass SR one, whatever they have to do to make that happen. And so, uh, tell us again. Now, she calls it voter suppression laws that uh, Republicans are, you know, they want to suppress the vote. These are voter suppression things that they are um, trying to implement and stop the release of those voter suppression. So. What is she talking about? You know so much about this, Christian. Give us an idea. This is a new audience. Right. I mean, when she talks about things like purges, did you notice her voice went up like a little tick, like she was emphasizing the word purge? And that's because they choose their words carefully. What she's really referring to is keeping the voter rolls clean from people who have moved away or otherwise died. She likes to call them purges because it sounds so nasty. But this Mm -hmm. is a bill that would take over federal elections. It's SR1. It would stop states from running their own elections. It would ban voter ID. It would allow murderers when they get out of prison or rapists to vote immediately, even though some states limit that. It would it would prevent states from doing work on citizenship, on cleaning rolls, would force states to allow people to walk up on election day, never register and just vote. She acts as if that's so shocking. There's only a couple states that allow what's called same-day registration. So they would radicalize American elections through a federal takeover. Yes, and so let me repeat to those of you listening, uh, go to AFA.net today. Go to AFA.net. Maybe do it right now uh, while you're still thinking about it, and they'll, they'll tell you what kind of action you can take. They'll expedite it, contacting your senator and telling them not to vote for that, and they'll give you the verbiage on that. So it will make it easy, AFA.net. Uh, Adam, uh, Christian, let's go, before we go to, uh, we're going to talk about lots of things, you and I, but you just did a piece uh, yesterday about kind of the, the upshot on these uh, mail-in ballots in Nevada that you've been studying. And so tell tell us how that went down and what you found, because Nevada was, well, didn't they send ballots out to every voter? Automatically. Yep. Okay, so what did you guys find? Well, we've had time now to look at the data from the 2020 election in Nevada, which, don't forget, was a very close election. And we found, according to the data, and in, this gets back to my point, Sandy, you've heard before, it's very hard to know what happens right after an election, but you have time in the following months and even year to really digest what occurred. In Nevada, we found that 93,000 ballots were sent by this automatic vote-by-mail scheme where they just blasted out ballots. 93,000 went to the wrong address. In other words, they bounced back. Uh, they didn't. The, the, the name on the ballot was not who lived at the address where the ballots were sent. And that's only the 93,000 we know about that, that, that bounced. There's got to be a bunch of them that never came back that went to the wrong address where somebody else could get their hands on them. And this is just not the way to run an election is through automatic vote by mail. It, it cranks error into the system. Yes, and I, let me just point out the numbers here provided by you in your article. President Joe Biden only carried Nevada by 33,596 votes. And you, you spent a lot of time in Nevada. I remember the videos that you sent back, uh, Christian, about 
you guys went up to addresses of people that had given it, you know, businesses or vacant lots as their addresses, and you, uh, you, you know, you filmed going to those places and the fact that there was nobody living there. So you actually put some real skin into this. But I, I just, you just alluded to this, but I want to pin you down a little bit. All right, so ninety-two thousand three hundred sixty-seven mail-in ballots uh, were were returned. So they didn't vote. So what's the big deal? Right. Uh, well, okay. Part of the big deal is you spent money on this program. You didn't have to be blasting out all these ballots into the mail and rolling the dice on whether or not they were going to be returned by people who weren't on the you know the actual name of the person. <clears throat> the other thing is these are the only the ones that came back. There's going to be other ones. The post office didn't have the uh, competence, shall we say, to learn that the person actually didn't live there. And they were just going to be deposited to the wrong place where the person, the voter, actually didn't live. So this is an indication that there's a bigger problem when you get 93,000 ballots bounced back uh, in one county, by the way. This is only Clark County in Las Vegas. This isn't all the other counties in the state where you have this sort of slack built into the system you're inviting problems. You're Look, these are people who didn't get their ballot. That's the other problem, Sandy. Suppose you moved down the street and then the state of uh, where you live mails your ballot to your old address. And you're like, where's my ballot? So it's another example where vote by mail actually disenfranchises voters. All right. So so that's that's something very solid that we know now about Nevada. I was just sharing before you joined me. There's a lot of stuff coming out now about what you know stuff that happened in Georgia. Not only that, um, the the faked phone call published by the the Washington Post, the edited phone call supposedly between President Trump and Brad. Well, it was a phone call, a legitimate phone call that was edited and misrepresented by represented by the Washington Post and repeated by all the men, uh, the media. But that's just a tiny tip of the iceberg. Molly Hemingway wrote a long article about so many things that happened there. We're learning. Uh, more about elections in all of these states. And I was just reviewing, Christian, how the Supreme Court refused the Pennsylvania case and how how good the evidence was and what a solid case. What do you think about that, about the courts not hearing these cases? Well, okay, uh, mention Georgia in a moment, but look, you got to remember, for a court to undo an election— John Roberts, as the chief justice, is never going to put the position of the court, because what army do they have, Sandy? What, what, what army of marshals and soldiers do they have to enforce their orders? Uh, to have a court undo an election, Roberts was probably calculating that the minute they do that, the court building is going to be stormed by a mob. I mean, is that serious? And is that a basis to not do something or do something? Well, the court has tenuous power. We can have that debate forever. But you bring up Georgia. I am staggered about what happened in Georgia. Staggered. Because don't forget, folks, there was a Washington Post story that was leading potentially to a criminal charge against the president uh, for trying to manipulate the outcome. We now know that was fake. And we now know who was leaking the fake story to the Washington Post. I understand that it was somebody named Jordan Fuchs who... Uh, is a is I'm told uh, a a Democrat working in a Republican Secretary of State's office. So mm-hmm. you know that is an astonishing development. What happened in the last couple of days in learning that that Washington Post story was totally made up. Yeah, it's really disgusting. It really is disgusting when you think now what's happening is uh, I see things unraveling, and I know you do too. 
Uh, nevertheless, we fight, and that's something that the Public Interest Legal Foundation continues to do. And let's let's in fact let's switch to this other story, uh, which is really interesting. You are actually bringing lawsuit uh, against Howard County Schools. That's Howard County, Maryland. Tell us about that because it's interesting. Right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Sandy. The chance to look in Maryland. They have a school district, Howard County, just outside of D.C., where children, children from 6th grade to 11th, you can't make this up, are voting for a school board member that is a child, and the school board member is taking a seat as a voting member of the school board uh, in Howard County, Maryland. And the, the, the what's worse about it, we can get into the particulars of why this is illegal, but think about this. The, the teachers union and the administrators are nominating three students to run for this office, children. And then a small group of children, uh, you know, a couple, 40, 30,000 have the right to vote to select another child to take government power as a school board member. And, and Sandy, here's why it matters. In Howard County, they were going to reopen the schools. And it would have been a four to three vote if it was the sane world where only adults are voting, right? But I don't have to tell you what happens next. The child member of the school board blocked the schools from reopening on an eight to eight vote. And the public interest, we're saying, look, you can't give children power, uh, you know, 50,000 children power when an adult, an adult only gets three school board members. But if you're a child in this Maryland County, you get four. It's bizarre. And you're bringing this suit on behalf of uh, uh, Lisa Kim and her son. Um, what, what's that all about? Right. And it should surprise nobody that if you go to a religious school uh, or a Catholic school, like if you're a child in a Catholic school or a religious school in Howard County, you don't get to vote, right? The, the vote is, is, is only for people who are in public schools to vote. And if you're in a religious school, you can't vote on this if you're a child there. And the reason that's important is because, well, not only imagine if we only gave the right to vote to Catholic kids. We know what the we know we know what the outcry would be, right? right? But the Catholic school and the other Christian schools in the area, they have bus services that the school board can revoke or deny or expand. So there's an entanglement between the the religious schools and the school board, but hey, if you go to religious school, your kid doesn't get to vote for this child member of the school board. So there's kind of like a adult, you've got several issues with this particular ruling. All right, this is interesting, and um, and so I, I hope you'll keep us in touch about that, uh, Christian, because that's a very, real interesting point. And of course, uh, as you know, the, you do know that the far left is all about children's rights. Hillary Clinton is up to her neck in that. I used to talk about that decades ago rights of the children. And so as bizarre as it might seem, this is really the way they want to go. And I think, you know, when you talk about SR1, where they want to give 16-year-olds the right to vote, it's just another example. They want to give uh, the right to have sex. They want to lower the age of to sexual consent to 12. I mean, we could go on and on. This really is like a, a thing that the left is into, and that is giving children uh, the same rights as adults. Um I want to change the subject with you uh, a little bit because I think uh, I'm surprising you with this, but I think you're going to have an opinion on this. There is an appointee. Her name is Gupta, and I know you know about her. She's being, (laughs) yeah, she has been appointed to be the third person in uh, command at the Justice Department. I want to play a spot that's running uh, that relates to that, and then let's talk about that, Christian. Here it is. 
Clip one. We see drug overdoses, death. Anita Gupta, she saw money, profit. Gupta has tens of millions invested in a company that made the hidden ingredient in heroin. The China white heroin that kills. It's so despicable. Reports say even Mexico is investigating the company Gupta has a stake in. We lead the nation in drug overdoses, and it's made Vanita Gupta rich. Tell Joe Manchin, Vanita Gupta or West Virginia? All right, so that's running in West Virginia. But, uh, Christian, I, it's not that long ago than when you started writing as a former member of the Justice Department, attorney at the Justice Department, you wrote about all the appointees that Barack Obama had made and how radical uh, the Justice Department had become. So I'd just love to know what your thoughts are about Vanita Gupta and her nomination to be Associate Attorney General. I've testified to Congress with Vanita Gupta sitting to my right, and she is one of the most radicalized, race-obsessed grievance mongers out there. Uh, Something got into her, I think, young, where she just was... Uh, uh, you know, her family came to this country in 1971. She was born in 74. And then she seemed to grow up trying to transform the country and hating the country's principles. And she's obsessed with race. She wants to transform the country radically. You know, you ran that clip, Sandy. I was staggered to learn, you know, after all these years of her attacking me personally and occasionally me returning the favor, uh, to learn that this woman, and nothing against wealth, but she's worth like $180 million. Yes, okay, this is in her financial. She will be the richest member of the administration if she's confirmed. I was like, if you're worth $180 million, why do you want to work at the Justice Department unless you want to like go to, it's, it's like your version of a theology. It's like, I want to transform the country with power. The fact that she's rich, I'm not criticizing, but because she's so incredibly wealthy and yet she chooses to do this shows what kind of crusade she is on. She's on a crusade to transform the country radically. Now, that opium ad you just ran, that's where the money comes from. Is Her dad is the chairman of the board of this drug company, a big drug company. I'm not talking about like mom, pop drug company that makes opioids. And I was just staggered to learn this. And then she's got a huge stake in the company for doing absolutely nothing, I might add. Nothing. She didn't earn this. This is all just a big gift. My understanding, too, Christian, is that she, according to what I'm reading here, this is from the Washington Examiner, uh, she began her legal career with direct funding from left-wing, the left-wing Soros Foundation. She also hates police. She wants to defund the police. Uh, she's a, she was about gutting the 1994 federal crime bill. And so there are really, it's, it, there are just such dangers. I think as her, as her job, her job as Associate Attorney General, do you know anything about what her particular I know there are lots of associate attorney generals. Do you know anything about what she might be appointed to do? Well, the associate attorney general in the flow chart, and I got to learn this my first week of the Justice Department, is there's two bosses right underneath the attorney general. One is the deputy attorney general who handles everything basically criminal. The other is the associate attorney general who handles everything not criminal or civil. And that includes the civil rights division where I used to work. That includes antitrust, the civil division, all of the non-criminal parts of DOJ. And underneath her are all the assistant attorneys general uh, underneath for each division. So she would have oversight over a wide range of things involving civil litigation, civil rights, race, police, voting, education, on and on and on. It's a very dangerous, radical woman to uh, be in that position of power. 
And of course, she's not the only radical. I mean, it's just about every, look, what, uh, Pete Buttigieg, what is it, Secretary of Transportation now? And what we're finding, this is the, the thing that makes no sense, Christian, is that we have so many Republican senators all on board with this. We had uh, Deb Holland, who was just appointed to be Interior Secretary. She was the pick of the Communist Party USA. That's how radical these people are, and yet Republican senators are voting for them. I'm calling them the uh, the Biden Republicans. I don't know what else to call them. Uh, and I, your comments about that? Well, mark my words. Uh, in a year, they'll express shock and outrage about the people they voted yes on. Right? They'll do, they'll do something, and then they'll oh, they're terrible what they've done. Uh, Gupta, I'll see how many votes she gets. She shouldn't even get some Democrat votes, but we'll see. I'm telling you what's happening here, Sandy, with Vanita Gupta. They want her on the U.S. Supreme Court. That's where this is headed. A radical uh, 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 Indian-American woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. Make no mistake about it. So if she's confirmed for associate attorney general, next stop uh, over at the Supreme Court. Um, I Well, you know what? We don't need her there. They're already doing everything they're doing. <laughs> is uh, from, my, from my perspective, is undermining the future of this country, as it stands with the configuration. I, my mind is just blown by the decisions they're making. And, you know, uh, to counter what you said earlier about their decision not to hear those cases, especially in Pennsylvania, you know, uh, Justice Thomas wrote a dissent on that, and he said he made a lot of sense. He basically said, look, the election's over, and we're not going to change the election, but we must address uh, the idea that the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania overrode the legislature uh, for future elections, but they even refuse that, Christian. That that makes no sense to me. Right, and it's a concept called mootness, and there's an element, law lesson time, there's an element in mootness that is, recall, is called capable of repetition. And in order to get a court to hear uh, something that's pretty much over with, but, you know, the election was over with, you have to argue that it's capable of repetition. And Thomas said this is capable of repetition, and Roberts, uh, you know, didn't want to go there. So that's kind of how that shook out. Yeah, it shook out all right. Well, Christian, uh, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Appreciate you joining us. And we will we, we'll be interested to hear how that Howard uh, County School uh, Board uh, suit goes, because that's just an interesting little uh, jewel in the midst of all the other things that are going on. So uh, what else are you guys working on right now? We just have one minute left. Right. Uh, Pennsylvania, we have a dead voter case. Uh, we, we uh, um, you know, we're trying to get that fixed in Pennsylvania because we had 21,000 deads on the rolls <laughs> heading the election, which is unbelievable. But hopefully that gets resolved and we'll get Pennsylvania cleaned up. Very interesting. Well, I'm so glad. Everyone's grateful for the work that you do. And uh, thank so you. thank you. And so, and uh, soon you'll be at the mic uh, hosting. I planned it. I'm going to take a day <laughs> off sometime. And I want you to fill in for me, Christian. So thank I'm you. I'm happy to do it. I hope it sounds <laughs> right. clear. Yeah, you know, this is a great connection. And you know, it's funny. I, we just did a whole survey of our listeners on their comments about uh, the show, improvements, things they liked, things they didn't like. And one thing they complained about was uh, guests not being clear. And certainly we, that's not true of you. We got it all sorted out. So uh, Christian, thanks. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Take Sandy care. Rios, coming back in just a second in the morning on AFR Talk.
This is Jan Markale, and next on Understanding the Times Radio, I talk to Pastor Barry Stagner about the future time known as the Tribulation. You may not experience it, but you all know someone who will. If we are at a minute to midnight, let's share the gospel and save people from this terrible time to come. That's next on Understanding the Times Radio. Saturday afternoon at 1 Central and Sunday afternoon at noon Central on American Family Radio. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The Leander Independent School District, north of Austin in Texas, is apologizing to parents after books with inappropriate content, including graphic sex scenes, were assigned to teens as part of the reading curriculum. Leander ISD admitted in a statement apologizing for the mistake, We over-relied on written reviews and recommendations. The district appeared to cut corners during lockdown, choosing not to read the books themselves before including them in the high school reading lists. The district concluded, We acknowledge this breakdown and apologize for selecting inappropriate literature for the assigned students' ages. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. We face an uncertain future as a nation, and the only way we can face it with confidence is through a genuine, deep-seated faith in God. But it cannot be a shallow faith. In the days of Samuel, the people of Israel treated the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence among his people, as a good luck charm. They had a superstitious belief that all they had to do was bring the ark to the field of battle and victory would be theirs. But when they tried it, they suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the Philistines. The only thing that will sustain us in the days ahead is a sincere, humble faith in the power of God. Treating God or the Bible or religious symbols as a rabbit's foot won't do it. Superficial faith won't cut it in the days ahead. Our faith must not rest in symbols or in ritual, but in the living God. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The U.S. Senate will soon consider S-1, a bill that would impose nationally and permanently voting arrangements proven to facilitate electoral fraud. Officially known as the For the People Act, this fatally flawed legislation has earned a new nickname, the Corrupt Politicians Act. Your senators should feel duty-bound to oppose this egregious bill by the oath they swore to protect and defend the Constitution. But here's another, perhaps more compelling consideration. Recent opinion surveys indicate that the damage S-1 would do to electoral integrity is overwhelmingly opposed by the American people. For example, this legislation would prohibit every state from employing a widely practiced election integrity precaution, namely requiring voter identification to cast a ballot. A new polling company poll found that 77% of respondents with majorities in every demographic subgroup quite sensibly reject this idea. So must their senators. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, is that uh, an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh, for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe the time it takes me to get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing, almost full time, is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, uh, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, uh, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. Yeah, you can't get after me because, you know, I am the climate czar appointed by President Joe Biden. This is John Kerry uh, taking private jets all over the country. That was uh, Iceland. Well, <laughs> that was going to Iceland. And you know what? He can't be held to the same standard as you and I because he is, after all, the climate czar and he's spending his life fighting on this issue. Well, in between the times when he's on his yacht and uh, spending his millions with his heiress wife, Teresa, Teresa Hines of the Hines Ketchup family, uh, he is, you know, pouring his hard-earned life and sweat into fighting climate change. And But they're trying to make it such that you can't fly, that you can't, uh, the fuel would not be possible to fly a jet to get you anywhere because it uses so much carbon. But he's going to be in a different situation because... People like me are in a different category, according to him. As some are estimating that his family with their private jets, <laughs> who cares about this stuff? But I'm going to read it anyway. I just think the whole thing's bogus. But um, John Kerry's family private jet emitted 116 metric tons of carbon over the past year. Uh, but still, he's in a different category, ladies and gentlemen. And that, the, say, that different category also applied when Michael Flynn, in his capacity as national security advisor to President Trump, talked to the Russian ambassador, which was his job. But he was accused of a crime doing that. He was accused of a crime because they were not, President Trump wasn't sworn in yet, and so it comes under this this obscure act that uh, he supposedly broke or, you know, violated. And so John, uh, uh, Lieutenant General Flynn was criticized for that, but meanwhile, John Kerry, who has very intimate relationships with our enemy, Iran. There are pictures of him. You know, they, they're very close friends. I've seen pictures of him, his wife, and him at dinner with Iranian uh, leaders. Uh, his, um, he he's, was at the wedding of uh, one of the uh, Iranian leaders. I remember that, too. It's been some time ago, but this is his link. And so he was on the forefront of negotiating that Iranian deal, which was a disaster for Americans dangerous, uh, and where we gave them millions and millions and millions of dollars of cash. Do you remember that? That was John Kerry. So when President Trump was elected, John Kerry kept meeting with Iran to sort of help them get around the rules a little bit. But that was different than Michael Flynn as the incoming national security um, uh, director for for President Trump, or National Security Advisor, for President Trump, it was different somehow for John Kerry. It was just different. He 
he could talk to the Iranians, our enemies, uh, about uh, how to get around President Trump's rules. But um, John, but Lieutenant General Flynn, as National Security Advisor, could not talk to the Russian ambassador, which was his job. It's just bizarre. And so now the story came out yesterday, which I'm sure you've probably seen, but if you haven't, you should hear it. Uh, a Tennessee Star reporter actually was the one that saw this. John Kerry was on an American Airlines flight. He was sitting in first class. And what was he doing? He was not eating or drinking. He was reading a book. And lo and behold, he had no mask on. And there's a picture, and you've probably seen it now. And the pictures are in the news, the news last night and today. You'll be seeing it all day. Here's John Kerry sitting in first class on American Airlines without a mask. And the ironic thing is, you know what? The flight attendants were not bugging him or barking at him or shouting at him. He had, he was different. He's in a different category, John Kerry is, out of his own mouth. He's got, with a person like me, I have all these responsibilities. So he doesn't say that, he didn't say that in regard to the masks, uh, but that's exactly what it is. It's, uh, it's good for you, but it's not good for me because I'm in a different category. And, and that we can laugh about that, but it's not funny. If you have flown lately, you know how miserable it is to fly. It's like you are, talk about totalitarianism. It's miserable, just miserable. I haven't flown since, it seems that to me, not since last fall. I used to fly all the time because uh, it just, it drives me crazy. I hate that. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like, just like I did, as I told you, when we used to pass through Checkpoint Charlie and go into East Berlin. I feel the oppression there doesn't feel too much different to me than flying on planes right now. But John Kerry doesn't have a problem with that because it's hands-off for him because he's in a different category. I suspect there are lots of Democratic leaders and politicians who are in a different category. We've seen their pictures, whether it's Gavin Newsom dining out maskless next to his friends in this elegant restaurant while the rest of California was shut down. Or I could fill, fill in the blank. You could call me and tell me of other exceptions, too. And so it's a, it's a very dangerous time. There was a lady uh, in Texas yesterday who was arrested. She was arrested in a Bank of America. She was standing in line, uh, just standing in line. And if you've been in a Bank of America, which we have been, they're very strict. Oh, by the way, they're the ones that remember that um, turned over the records to the FBI, your personal records, if you bank with Bank of America, for when you traveled on January 5th and 6th, where you stopped, what you bought, what you did, tracking your movements, the Bank of America. So she's standing in line without a mask, but she's distancing. And this is what happened. Clip nine. Someone's filming this. You're hurting me. Oh, I'm filming it. This is like Yeah, this okay. Is like Stand up. Stand up. Stand yourself up. And how do you suggest, sir? I'm like a 65-year-old woman here. Okay. Sit what are up. you doing? Stand up. Ayúdame, por favor. Stand up. Ayúdame, por favor. Are you trying to speak Spanish to people? I do speak Spanish. Okay, well, stand up. Are you happy now, lady? Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm not happy. You, okay, you stand up. Stand up. I refuse to listen to the Come on. You know what? I think She's getting to yourself. Come on. I think you broke my freaking foot. Okay, I'll call. And that's my business over there. Yeah, she's going to pick it up. Come on. We're going outside. Oh. One in custody. Wow. Not wearing a mask, people. 
This is what they do to ya. Slow everybody down. Okay, um, I got my dog in my truck. I got trailer. you. I'm 10-4. Uh, send EMS for a 60-year-old white female. She's complaining of uh, foot pain. Yeah. You Take broke a seat. my foot. Take a seat. Morty and I, we're out with Okay. Take a seat. Are you, where's your mask? Where's your I'm mask? I'm six feet away from you. Oh, well, I was six feet away from those people All in right, there, too. in there. Get inside. Come on, you guys. Get Let's inside. get real. All right. Her name is Terry Lynn Wright. She's 65. And uh, so she refused to wear the mask in Bank of America, and they called the police. And this is part of the interaction. And when you watch the video, uh, he makes her get down on the ground. And then, of course, he handcuffs her behind her back with her, you know, flat down on her face on the ground. And then he tells her to get up. That's what you heard. Well, she, her hands are handcuffed behind her back, and she's saying, I'm 65 years old. How, how do you expect me to do this? I don't know. I had very mixed feelings about this. Uh, because uh, it certainly, um, what are we doing? Honestly, she's right about this. What are we doing arresting people for wearing a mask? What are we doing? What are we doing? And the policeman, um, I don't even think you heard the first part of that. I felt he was enjoying that a lot. And then on the other hand, you could say, well, she's resisting a police officer and she shouldn't do that. And she shouldn't. I know that that's true. But then I think of Rosa Parks. Uh, who is a hero, a heroine, which, and I believe she's a heroine, who refused to sit in the back of the bus. Uh, but she broke the law, and she had to be arrested. So is there a room for civil disobedience in all of this? These are questions that we have to face, um, and I don't, I don't have an answer for you right now. But this is what happened to her in Galveston, Texas, in spite of the fact that the governor has lifted uh, the mask ban. The bank is still doing this, and so is Home Depot. She was arrested there, too, a few days later. All right, this is the way life is right now. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.